It's that time. Welcome to the Time to Man Up podcast. And here's your host, Sean Hess. Welcome to this episode of the Time to Man Up podcast. We are so glad that you are here today. Today, I'm going to change things up. Anyone that knows me knows that I love to throw a curveball here and there. Uh, when we've been doing things the same way over and over and over, it's time for a little change. And so today is going to be that change. We have started a new segment called Table Talk. Table Talk is where we go and we meet with individuals. We talk to them about their life experiences in hopes that we can then take their experiences, take the lessons that they have learned, and apply those into our own lives. Uh, today, we are blessed uh, to have a table talk with Dick Scott. Uh, Dick Scott has an amazing testimony. And so I hope that you enjoy this. I hope that you find it very valuable. And so welcome to Time to Man Up slash Table Talk. Well, hey, this is a special day. It is the first edition of Table Talk. And I am so excited for this opportunity. Where Table Talk came from is uh, right near where I lived in Ohio. When I would go to McDonald's for breakfast, there was a table there. And everybody sat around that table. And they were talking just about life stuff and sometimes trivial stuff, sometimes really important stuff. But I was always impressed about how I feel that everywhere you go, there is that place where you find people specifically men, it seems, around that table talking. And so today is our first episode of this, and I am so excited to be able to have Dick Scott with us. And uh, Dick is going to be here for our first episode of Table Talk. And uh, Dick, welcome to Table Talk. Uh, being the first time, welcome to the first show. Thank you. <laughs> nice to be here. And so Dick and I have some things in common. The first thing is in, that we have in common is we're from Ohio. Now, if I remember right, you went to Colonel White. I did. Okay, because I was a Xenia Buccaneer. And uh, so growing up, he grew up in Dayton. I grew up in Xenia. So in that same vicinity there. And of course, then I was up in Troy, which I just jumped to the other side of Dayton. Uh, but uh, it was really cool to to see that. He is the last child of nine boys correct nine boys nine boys what was that home like you know i think people tell me that raising guys are easier than <laughs> raising girls so uh, there was a lot of competitiveness arguing and fighting and uh, but it was exciting now as the youngest that had to be some drive for you to compete because i only had two boys and the youngest was always trying to compete with the older one the only thing we could afford was a ping pong table down the basement and they never wanted to lose to the baby of the family. <laughs> oh man. So, so the youngest of nine kids, uh, that's just amazing. And so, uh, he went on to, uh, go to a Baldwin Wallace college where he played and let me get this straight here, cross country, basketball and track. And do I recall right that you had 11 varsity letters? I did. Which is amazing. In this day and age, that doesn't happen. And so 11, so which one did you not get four years in? Uh, track. I uh, tore my uh, meniscus the senior year in basketball. Okay. And uh, so that kept me out of track. 
So what was your, you, you coached when you became a teacher at Bay High, you coached cross country and basketball playing. What was your favorite when you played in college? Oh, definitely basketball. Okay. Um, I enjoyed the shaking and baking and wheeling and dealing and stopping and popping and yeah. talking trash. Listen to yeah. that. <laughs> I love talking trash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you were coaching, was basketball your favorite too? No, cross country was. Okay. And I think the reason why is because I had more success uh, coaching cross country. We were state champs. We were state runner up. We made it to the state championship like, 10 years in a row. Uh, and it was just a little bit more relaxing. Basketball is a little bit more intense. Right. But I will say this. I coached with a, I uh, was an assistant and that is the greatest job in the world. <laughs> so um, it was a great experience for me as well. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, Dick, what's really cool about this is Dick taught at the same school, Bay High, as my uncle did. And he said they came in at the same time. And so that's that's kind of a cool connection for me, yeah. having been to the high school. I told him I remembered the big rocket on the field. Yeah. Uh, it was nothing special, but but it was just like the big rocket that was there. <laughs> and so he taught there uh, physical education and health is Correct. what he taught there. And so so he was all about staying fit from – because cross-country and track – you just we used to laugh at, at basketball because the football players would come in and they would get exhausted really quick. The soccer players would come in and they could run forever, um, but they didn't want to be bruising around with the big football guys underneath the basket, though. So uh, he was involved in that. And then at Baldwin Wallace, the best thing that happened to you is you met your wife there. I did. Lana Lee, Lulu, the love of my life. Uh Better. She was a cheerleader. I was a basketball player, and it was great. And I was introduced to her by the head cross country coach's son, who introduced me to her. <laughs> so uh, we've been together. We'll be celebrating our 55th wedding anniversary this year. Now, check that out 55 years. That is not the norm in today's world. And so that's amazing. I mean, Every time I think of where I am in, in coming up on 33, I think, man, I've got so much longer to go. So uh, just an amazing thing. Now, some when we look at Dick's life, uh, there are some interesting things that he did. And one of those things was to carry the Olympic torch through Dayton. Did you have security? Did you have armed guards with you? You know, I did not. And... That's a great story uh, because there was a school in Dayton, Dayton Chaminade. Mm -hmm. They had a great cross-country program. And I went to Colonel White, which is a public school. But one of the guys on the team was a guy by the name of Chucky Vehorn. He said, would you like to train with us during the summer under Father Gilfeather? Huh. And so I trained with Dayton Chaminade, got in great shape. So... Uh, what happened was they finished second in the state that year and they were asked to carry the Olympic torch to wow. Dayton. Well, Chuck called me up and said, Dick, would you like to be a part of it? So I was able to be a part of that relay team that uh, carried That's amazing. The, it, it was wonderful. What a privilege. And not only that, but I'd lost track of Chuck. 
Uh, he went to Notre Dame on a cross-country track yeah. scholarship. But two years ago, I looked him up. And he said, what are you doing calling me? I said, I never thanked you for that opportunity. Wow. And so that was a great reconnection with somebody that was important to my life back then. Yeah. And so the other thing that, so you guarded Earl the Pearl. I mean, there are some that are going to hear this and they're like, Earl who? I know Earl the Pearl. And when, when I saw that you held him to 34 points, that sounds kind of ludicrous. Like that was a bad day, but for him. That was lower than he was used to scoring. <laughs> well, uh, Sean, the truth of the matter is we played a 1-3-1 one, one zone, oh. but I had the original trying to stop him, and I could not. <laughs> but they were so far ahead of us that he didn't think it was that important that he scored a lot. The next night against the Akron Zips, he poured in 51 points. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, it is it, one thing I've learned in sports is that to get to the pro level of sports, no matter what level of that, whether it's AAA baseball, AA, they're good players. Yes. And you forget about that. You think, ah, they can't even get up to the big leagues. They're good players. Yes. And I've played with a guy that played indoor soccer, which is low-level soccer. And I watched him make five people look silly. And so the, the quality that it takes to get to that level yeah. Is, is pretty cool. And then, uh, do I remember right that you were elected into the Hall of Fame there at Baldwin-Wallace? I was. That's that's really a, yeah. amazing. Now, that, was that in recognition of all the sports then? Well, uh, I just looked at the trophy, and basically it's not just the fact that I got 11 letters, but it's also citizenship too. Yeah. So uh, there were a lot of things. But I think I was one of the few non-football players that received that award. And I think that's because we did not have that good a football team <laughs> my senior year. So well, that, yeah, that, that's yeah. really amazing. Yeah. And so uh, as we work through table talk, the goal of this is just to be able to spend time with people and, and, and hear their story. Because a lot of times there are a lot of amazing stories out there. And, and it's not to like be braggadocious or anything, but it's to say, and here are things that have happened in people's lives. I mean, it's amazing. I, I was just reading an article about a lady who was the CEO of a steel company. And I thought, that is amazing. I would love to talk to her and see what that was like. And so with Dick, uh, one of the things that ties him, then we'll get to it later on, is pickleball. And uh, for you that are listening to this, there are some of you that know how pickleball has caught on. I knew pickleball was getting big when it made its way to Troy, Ohio. They turned tennis courts into, I think it was like eight pickleball courts. And uh, they got rid of all the tennis courts. And there were probably some tennis people that were like, what's going on? But there are people on those courts all the time. I had guys calling me, hey, you want to go play pickleball? And I thought, okay, when it was Florida, it was one thing. Or Arizona, it's big into yeah. California. But when it became Midwestern, and one of the funny stories uh, during COVID, Dick, uh, I had a friend that posted a video. And he took a video, it was in Columbus, Ohio, took a video of a public pool that was closed down. Nobody at it. And he's like, okay, the young people who aren't at much risk, they can't go to the pool. But then he panned over just a little bit, and here's the pickleball courts. And they are packed with older people who had more to risk, 
and they're out there playing pickleball. And, and he said, again, remember, young people, older people. And I thought pickleball has reached the pinnacle when it has come to where you see tennis players even now choosing to play that over tennis, which I never thought that would happen. Well, that's funny you said that. Um, the uh, Elliots um, that own Engage Pickleball, which is near the villages, they have courts in their backyard. And they invited me up one weekend to, to play in their yard. And I'm playing with a very good player, a tennis pro from Ocala, as my partner. But I'm playing against a 16-year-old and his dad, Jamie. And so I yak a lot. And I'm yakking to get this, get that. <laughs> and this guy is being so polite. Well, after the game, Rob Elliott came up to me and said, do you know who that was that you were trash talking? I said, no. And he goes, Jamie Askin, uh, O-S-C-I-N. He said, look him up. So I looked him up. In 1991, he was the 22nd ranked tennis player in the world. And you're trash talking him. <laughs> and I'm trash talking him. And in the French Open, he beat Ivan Lindell. Wow. So here I am uh, just yakking away. But, you know, tennis players, most of them are very polite. And he was very polite. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, the one thing that drives me crazy about pickleball and we do want to get into some other things and we'll come back but while i'm remembering it because i didn't have it in my notes the first time i played pickleball uh, an older couple in the church had said hey we play this thing called pickleball do you want to come out so myself and a guy right out of college we played them and i said you know shouldn't we divide teams a little more fairly so that it's not so lopsided we got our butt kicked and i'm like and we lost the first match and he was a talker, the guy, and I'm a talker. And so I'm like, this will not do. And so the guy I was playing with, he's not a talker. I'm like, come on, man, we got to get serious about this. We're not losing again because I was amazed at just kind of the equalizing that sport is. Uh, if you've got it here to know what to do and how to do it, you can be super athletic and it's not always a massive advantage, really. I'm not saying it's a disadvantage, but. We were way more athletic than them, and they put it to us. And I ate a big slice of humble pie on that day. <laughs> Old people rule. <laughs> <laughs> I just I walked away from that game saying, I'm not sure about the validity if this can happen, but now we played as often as we can. I bought paddles so we all had them in the family and could go out, so just a, a fun time. So getting kind of back to your path that you took, um, growing up in Dayton, Ohio, one of nine boys, uh, just kind of walk me through just kind of your life and, and how you got to where you are and just, you know, those highlights and, and just hit on, hit on those things that, that you can just share that show a little bit about Dick's journey in life. Uh, well, being the youngest, uh, I had to look up to my brothers and uh, some of them were leading me down a wrong path. Not a bad path, but breaking into garages and stealing stuff. And um, uh, I, I got to say this, you love your brothers, and I do love them, but they were doing some things that were probably not in my best interest. Uh, so the best thing that happened to me, as we used to do everything together, we played home run derby, we went to Little League Parks to play home run derby. Um, I got sick one day. I was 
going into the sixth grade. I'll never forget this as long as I lived. And I used to hang out with him. And I got sick. After I got sick, I came back with my glove. And I said, I'm ready to go. They said, we got a replacement for you, little brother. A guy by the name of Maxi Cop. I cried. I mean, for three days, I cried in the house yeah. because my brothers disowned me. <laughs> but their friend was more important, who was their same age, and not the little brother. Right. At that time, I think I made a decision I needed to find a sport where I didn't need anybody else. And that's when I started playing a lot of basketball okay. and started running to the pool and stayed away from, quote, sports where I didn't need right, my yeah. brothers. Yeah. So it kind of took you down that individual, though on a basketball team, you're still dependent, but yeah. you can play it by yourself. Yeah. I mean, man, how many, how many of us guys have shot for hours and hours yeah. in our backyard? <laughs> I, my mom had made a backboard that was being an Indiana basketball fan. Uh, she made a backboard and to be honest, probably looked like the most generic backboard ever compared to all the fancy ones my, my friends had. But everybody loved mine because it was hand-painted with this big guy with an IU jersey on dunking a ball into the hoop on the backboard. So kids came to my backyard all the time, and I think it was because they liked that backboard that I kind of thought was like, oh, my mom had to make me a backboard. <laughs> and uh, so at that time, I was only in the sixth grade, I set a goal to play in the NBA. It didn't happen. But... I got to play with an NBA player, uh, which I think I mentioned to you, yeah. Rick Barry. I text all my former athletes and said, I finally got in the court <laughs> with an NBA player. Right. And uh, Rick would come up and play a lot. Uh, we developed a nice friendship. Uh, he still texts me, uh, but he is a competitor. And, uh, but he always ends it with God bless. And so uh, good memories with somebody who I was able to get on the court with who was an NBA player. That, that, that is, is really amazing. So what were the, the challenges that you faced? So from Colonel White High School, you, you go to Baldwin-Wallace. Uh, and, and so college can be some challenging atmosphere in that when you get into a college atmosphere. For me, my first couple of years of college were not good experiences and uh, were filled with a lot of just life struggle type of yeah. things. More, more I couldn't get out of my own way, I think. Than anything else for me it was trying to adapt from a public school to a christian college which was really hard for me uh, just because of the way we functioned in our public school compared to a christian school so i battled that how were your college years I mean, you kept busy yeah well i think that's the important thing uh, i will back up a little bit in, in the sixth grade um i liked a girl and uh she said, I could like her only if I went to church. Well, I never went to church. I only went to church because she was there. Right. But one of the assignments was to read the Bible. And literally, some of the things I read was, do not be a drunkard. <laughs> so I looked at some of my brothers who were, and I said, I don't want to be that way. So first of all, going to college, drinking was not part of my persona. I think that was very helpful for me. I think it was helpful for me in high school. It allowed me to stick with the studies and stick with the good, clean living. Uh, so 
but there was that, um, I don't know how to say it. There was that uh, temptation, but not by me. I did hang around with some guys that did, and I did go to a bar with one of them, but I went to Isley's Ice Cream and got myself two milkshakes. <laughs> well, the head basketball coach at that time heard I was in Reed's, which was the bar. I said, yeah, I was drinking ice cream, buddy, <laughs> right, right. a mott. And uh, I don't know if he believed it or not, but it, it really that part of the party life was not in my persona. So I think that was fortunate. Um, I was also fortunate to meet Lana Lee, and she was not a partier. So we had a lot of fun together going down the student union, playing pickleball with pickleball, ping pong with Oh, excuse me, table tennis <laughs> with the guys on the team that were there. So um, so when did you meet her then? I, I met her, uh, really I met her in the summer going into my first year, but okay. we didn't start dating until the following year. Okay. And, uh, but sh she's been my rock. She would never let me be less than what I could be. So that is fortunate in a relationship. Yeah. Anytime I misbehave, no, no boy. <laughs> so, so the other challenges, um, fortunately, we had a basketball coach. Um, one of the things he did, he made us go to church on Sunday, our mm. freshman year. So we couldn't stay out late Saturday night. Right. Um, we had study tables. And we're talking about 1964 that we as freshmen had to go and do our homework in yeah. front of the coach. So uh, all those things that maybe were difficult for other people because of the guidance I got from the coaches at BW, um, it made it somewhat easier. Yeah, and, uh, and that's, I mean, that's really great. Even it's wise for a coach to be involved yeah. in that. Yeah. And perhaps some schools nowadays would yeah. stay out of some troubles if coaches were more engaged yeah. like that. But the world of sports has changed so much. I always tell my kids, when I played soccer through high school and into college, we hardly ever worked out. I mean, you just, you played. That's just what you did. And there was farm strong for football and things like that. But now it's like thorough workout for every sport. Yeah. I'm like, I see our U.S. national soccer team. And I'm like, dude, they're all like chiseled. Yeah. <laughs> we never were like that. I mean, we could run and we're athletic, but... It's so different now. <laughs> and so when we look at those, that, that transition and then you, so you graduate there with an amazing amount of accolades. I mean, that's really says a lot about just your work ethic and, and, and how you did with that. And so did you guys get married right out of college then? Uh, we did. Lana Lee, who's the brains of the outfit. Graduated in three years. Wow, okay. On her last day of school, uh, we got married. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we. she was 20, so, I was 21. So then 21. were you married your senior year then? No, no, I was okay. right after I graduated Okay. in uh, 1968 Okay. is when we got married. So you were a year ahead and Correct. she caught up. Yes. <laughs> she ran you down. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's amazing. And so then did you go straight to Bay out of college then? That's my first job. Okay. Stayed there for 39 yeah. years and enjoyed every day. You know, it's kind of interesting. When I was in elementary school, 
I never missed school. Uh, in college, I went to classes. I did not skip classes. Yeah. And then as a teacher, it was such a nice environment. I never wanted to miss school. The kids were great. The community was great. I was truly blessed to spend the 39 years at Bay in Bay Village, Ohio. So you must have accumulated a lot of sick time over your years then. <laughs> I, yes. It's not that I didn't miss some days. I remember uh, one day, um, one of my former runners was going to get married at a literary country club. And he wanted me to go to the, what do they call that? The day before you get married? Rehearsal? Bachelor party. Oh, bachelor party. Okay. And uh, I couldn't see writing out that I'm going to a bachelor party. <laughs> well, he called the principal and said, look, I want Coach Scott at my bachelor party, which is a Larry Country Club. We're playing golf with my college coach. And so Joe Loomis, the principal that called me in, and he said, um, are you going to uh, Chris's wedding? And I said, uh, ba uh, bachelor party. I said, no. I said, I don't think that's something I could do. And he said, does it have something to do with a wedding? I said, yes. He said, that's good enough for me. Go. So uh -huh. I went. That's really, that's, that's cool. <laughs> and the nice thing about Bay and the people that were there is that these guys that I coached, we're still friends today. We contact each other. In fact, uh, one of the guys, Jeff LeMay, that helped me get inducted into Ohio Track and Field Hall of Fame, he texted me the other day and he said, Coach, I hope you're ready for pickleball. I'm second in my league oh. and I'm ready for you. Oh, man. So the, 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 he's ready to take on the master. Yeah. <laughs> I remember in college, we had a racquetball a teacher that he was phenomenal. He would lay that ball in the corner and it would just roll out. And I remember that part of the grade was you just had to get one point against him. And it was amazing how many people could not get one point. And I was like, once I got the one point, it was on. I wanted to do it. I, I, I didn't come close to beating him. But I was like, that's what I'm striving for now. <laughs> that's what I'm striving to do that. But um, so let's get to pickleball because so you moved to Florida. Yeah. And is that when you got into pickleball when after you had moved to Florida? Uh we did teach it in our physical education class. Okay. But we used a Nerf ball and a racket, um, a racket ball racket. Okay. That's to not let that Nerf ball hurt people. Right. And it was a different game because it was much slower. Uh, but when I came to the village, I took the class and enjoyed it and had a knee operation, had a hip operation, and could not play basketball, could not run. So that became a nice form of exercise for me. Yeah, that's that's really a good good opportunity there. So you've got we want to get back and well, let's just let's I'm going to skip my order here a little bit and let's just talk about so what is pickleball, and then we'll get back to talking about the red paddle, but. Okay. But let's just talk about what is pickleball, because for some people that are going to hear this, they know about it. For others, they're going to be like, what in the world is that? So kind of just describe what it is. Well, it's a lot of fun. That's the first thing. Right. Uh, it's easier in the legs. That's the second thing. Uh, but basically, it's on the size of a badminton court, which is smaller than a tennis court. You use a wiffle ball, 
and you use a paddle made out of graphite, whatever it may be. And you just hit it over the net. There's dink shots, there's slams, there's a wide variety of things that you can do, but it's just kind of like a combination of table tennis, uh, tennis, and badminton. Yeah, and you can hear people playing from a distance away. Yes. Just there, There's that specific sound that the ball makes when it hits those paddles that you can just hear. I love driving by a place where a whole bunch of people are playing. You just listen to it. It's just got this rhythm to it of everybody hitting at the same time. And it's just, it's amazing with that. Uh, when we, so with, with pickleball, I'm guessing that part of what attracted you to that is some competitiveness to it and being able to compete. I, I think so, but it was just a way to get to meet people. Okay. And then as you get involved in the game, you start setting goals just like I did. And my goal was to get to a national tournament. My goal was to get to the highest level at that time, which is a 5.0. Yeah. And so when you start setting goals for yourself, I wanted to be one of the better players in the village, not necessarily the best, but I wanted to play against the best. And that was my goal. And so I was driven to do those type of things. Yeah. Do you even know, where did pickleball start? Well, it started in Washington. Okay. Um, and... That's not where I would have guessed. Yes. <laughs> and basically it was a family vacation where they lost their birdies and badminton stuff. Mm -hmm. So they found the dogs wiffle ball yeah. wow. and they found a racket racket. Yeah. And they just made the game up in lieu of badminton. And uh, supposedly the dog's name was, Pickle, uh, and that was pickleball. But ball. <laughs> that's been uh, there's not been a whole lot of proof to that. The, the, there might be a MythBuster show yes. on that one. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's really amazing. So uh, I'm I'm gonna read these so that I get them right. So Dick Dick has really accomplished a lot when it comes to uh, to pickleball. So he's won two gold medals at the World Huntsman Games in St. George, Utah in 2013. I even got on and read a little bit about all these different games. And these are where like a lot of people come from different areas. I've got a friend now that's in Arizona and he is big into pickleball now. I think he might've worked his way up to, he can play up to a 4.5, I think maybe is what he's at. But I noticed that he's putting out a lot of stuff on, on pickleball. Uh, you won a gold medal at the U.S. Open in Naples. When, when was that? What year? 2016. It was the first one they had. Okay. Now, when we talk about those gold medals, I think it's important that you realize it's in our age group. Right. We right. don't have to play against the Ben Johns, who's 23 or 24. But, and, so. and they have a massive amount of age group breakdowns. Yes. Now, so can you, can you always play down? Can, are you able to play down, just not up? Yes, you can play down. Okay. In fact, I was asked to play uh, with Rob Elliott in the Low Country uh, Tournament in South Carolina. Rob was 44 at the time. I was 68 at the time. When we got there, it was 19 plus. Hmm. This is why I think there's a God. <laughs> it rained that day and I didn't have to play against those young guys. Oh, man. But it was still a thrill to be asked by Rob Elliott, who was a national champion. Well, um, and, I, and I think that's what's amazing is you hear like a 48 and you think, eh, 48. That's like of everybody. 
<laughs> I mean, that's everybody in his category. And that's just amazing to think about it because we're so used to thinking one, two, or top 10 or whatever. But when you see some of these players and what they rank, it's amazing. As I was, I really have, I, I never dove into this until we were going to be together. And then I took some time to dive into it and figure out uh, what all these rankings were. And uh, it was neat to see this as I looked at a couple of different websites and I just began to go through their annual. It was neat to see some people that won championships and you just watch them go up their age groups and they're winning championships all the way up there. <laughs> so that, that was, that was pretty, pretty neat. And so in 2016, also he won a bronze at the United States pickleball association at pickleball championship in Arizona. Where has been your favorite place to play pickleball? The villages. Okay. It's because that's where you develop your friendships. Yeah. That's where you develop uh, your skills. Uh, we help each other. We encourage each other. Um, we applaud each other when they have success. Uh, so I don't think there's any other place I'd rather play pickleball than the villages. Yeah, I've noticed that. So God worked on me when I was on a church softball team and we won one game every year for like three or four years. And that's where God kind of worked on my competitiveness because I was a, even, even like playing church softball before my goal was always to get multiple in the park home runs to prove that I could still run. And then one time I pulled my hamstring and I was like, well, maybe that doesn't work like it used to. But that competitive nature and that balance of fun and competitiveness, because when I read the, the article on Rick Barry, I was like, okay, clearly competitive. <laughs> but balancing that is, is, a, is a challenge. And so you do have a story that it's the story that I first heard about when, it, when, it was, when, I, when I heard about Dick Scott, and that was the Red Paddle story. And so maybe you can share that with us and just share, you know, what all took place with that. Um, yes, I'd, I'd love to, uh, that red paddle has changed my life in ways that I'm so grateful for, but in order for me to share it, um, I've got to go way back. Uh, so if I had to talk about the title of this story, it would be how the red paddle changed my life or, uh, how about I was a good little boy. So I thought. Um, so I think the other part of the story was, would be a title would be, it's not who you were yesterday, but it's who you are today. Right. And I must admit, I probably wasn't happy who I was in the years gone by. Um, as you know, I grew up in a large family, but it was not a Christian home. My dad was an atheist. My mom was a Christian scientist, mm. whatever that was. Uh, Christmas was never about Jesus. It was about presents. Easter was about finding Easter eggs and eating jelly beans, never about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. So keep in mind, I thought I was a good little boy. And um, I can remember all of a sudden in the eighth grade, I did go out for football, but I got kicked off the team because I got in an argument with one of the teammates and said some things that were very derogatory and 
the coach made me apologize. I said, I'm not apologizing. Mm. You see, I'm a good little boy. So I thought. Yeah. I thought he was in the wrong, but now I know I was in the wrong. Uh, and then my freshman year in high school, I'm playing basketball, and I got fouled, and the referee didn't call it. And I argued with him. He gave me a technical. I argued again. He threw me out of the game. Now, the sad thing about that, it was my older brother, Phil, who was the referee. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I must have been bad. Uh, the one I remember most of all was my junior or senior year. We were playing Beaver Creek. <laughs> and we had a two-point lead near the end of the game. I had the ball. I was dribbling. I got fouled again. And I, I even showed the ref my hand. <laughs> and he did, the guy's going down for a layup to tie the game. And I get down there because I was a cross-country runner and pushed him into the wall. He made the layup, wow. so the score's tied. I go back and I argue with the referee. I even showed him my red mark, and he gave me a technical. At that time, I was so mad, I took my glasses off. Now, this is in front of a 1,000 people. Yeah. And threw them against the wall. At that time, two of the assistants came out and had to take me off the court mm -hmm. and took me up to the coach's room. After the coach, head coach came up and talked to me, I walked out and there was a little lady from Beaver Creek. She looked at me and said, little whippersnapper, you should be ashamed of yourself. I said, you old, why don't you go yourself? Yeah. Where was this good little boy? What was going on in my life? And it didn't stop there. I went on to college and I did the same thing. I took my shoes off during a, a, a practice and told the coach to take them and ram mm. them up his or down his throat, let's yeah. say. And uh, you would think I would have learned. I don't know what was possessing me, but it surely was not a good little boy. It was that anger, that demon that I could not control. And, right, yeah. and I remember having an argument with my wife on a Saturday morning. My daughter was 16 and... She had a soccer game, but she was doing her homework. And after the argument, I go down and I look at her and I look at the paper she was writing. It was wet with tears. Mm -hmm. It didn't stop when I got to the villages. I'm playing pickleball because I'm competitive. Right, yeah. I'm not getting the ball. I want to get the ball. I'm swearing. I'm mad at my partner. I'm mad at the guys that won't hit me the ball. And the guy I'm playing with, Joe walks off the court, looks at me and says, I'll never play with you again. Mm. And he walked home. Wow. I got in my car and I went after him and said, I'll give you a ride home. He said, not only will I not play with you ever again, I won't even get in a car with you. Mm. I'd rather walk. And then it happened. A knock, knock, knock on the door. It was Monday. Ironically, it was March 16th. What's today? <laughs> March 14th, right. I think. <laughs> and uh, it was my two buddies, Big Ernie and Little John. And uh, I said, what are you guys doing here? I said, we got a gift for you. 
And behind their back was this colorful paper bag with yellow tissue. And he said, here, they gave it to me. And I picked it out. And it was a red pickleball paddle. Mm. I said, you guys, you should have saved your money. I got a blue one just like it. <laughs> they said, no, you need the red one. So in here is the note that they had, but oh, wow. it's too small for me to read, so I'll read it from here. Yeah, Dear Dick, what a great friend and brother in Christ you are to us. But your behavior on the pickleball court does not reflect the teachings of Jesus, especially as it relates to the fruits of the Spirit, of kindness, love, and self-control. We guard each other's back and we pray for you as you struggle to fight off those pickleball demons, especially the anger that you exhibit on your pickleball court. Love in Christ always, Big Ernie and Little John. Two weeks later, I had a dream. Now keep in mind, this is a dream. I'm playing at Lake Miona and I take that paddle and I throw it against the fence. And as I go and I pick it up, the paddle was bleeding. So I had asked them, why the red paddle? They just looked at me, and from now on, you are to play with a red paddle. It signifies the blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. And you need to know that whenever you're on that court, that Jesus is watching over you. Make sure you do what's right. So I'm so indebted, indebted to yeah. Big Ernie and Little John, and I've learned so much more. I understand that those two came into my life because of the grace of the Lord. Right. That's why I came to the village is so I could meet Big Ernie and Little exactly. John. Exactly, God's big plan. And uh, I've been a different person since. It changed my life. It's just uh, the grace of the Lord and what he had in store for me. So that's my red paddle story. That's why I use it. I don't use this because I don't want to hurt it. But I use this red paddle. Yeah. And it helps me. Yeah. Be more Christ-like. Yeah, I get that. That's and and it's amazing. So it feels like God's removed that from you. Uh, that that it's more like you recognize now that there's purpose greater than just that pickleball game. And, and that's something that for some people they can never get. No matter how many times they fail with anger. Uh, they just can't get it, and it just keeps driving them. And it's really kind of a sad uh, existence for that. And and I love hearing your story, Dick, because I was one that struggled with anger, with fighting in college, with especially when I went to a Christian college, and I just didn't get. I was frustrated because I just didn't get why we couldn't do things that I'd always done. And it was fine, and for me, there was that change too, where it was just it was done. And, and, but sometimes I think about people, well, you should just be able to do that, yeah. but it's not normal. It's God's work. Yeah. And, and I think, and I think I've had the same question, like, why did it take God so long? <laughs> I mean, I was in my sixties when it happened. And then I started realizing, I started reading the Bible more. 
I started going to Bible studies more. I started praying more. I started doing morning devotionals more. Mm -hmm. And I think when that paddle was given to me, I think that's when the Holy Spirit came into my heart because I am a different person. In fact, about a year ago, some guys that I used to play with a long time ago stopped in at Rohan where I, I play. Okay. And they were watching me, kind of being shocked that I can still play with the good guys. Right. But they said, you weren't swearing. <laughs> what happened? Hmm. And I was able to share their red paddle story with them. Yeah. So uh, life has been good because God has been good to me. Yeah, because the Bible clearly says that sometimes we're like a dog that returns to its vomit. And it's just like there are some sinful ways that for whatever reason we just struggle with. But then there are also those times, like I feel has been here, is when God just removes that from you. And I don't know if it's because of the depth that we get into that we're like, yeah, I don't want to be that. And I think that somewhat self-revelation through two guys in your life is just an important thing of helping us recognize. And that's not the guy I want to yeah. be. And, and, and you realize how other people see you. And it's just like, it's amazing because I, as you were telling that story about throwing the glasses, all I could think about was, you know, my dad was a, one of my soccer coaches in high school. And there was a time where I felt I got fouled and I chucked my cleat at the guy. And, uh, I just was like, I didn't think I just reacted and I did it. And part of that was just a heart issue for me that God had to work on a heart issue. But I don't know what it is, Dick, because when he does some changes in your life, it's like you don't want to go back there. You have no desire. And he allows it to turn it into a positive. Yep. And I love that because what I love about what you're doing is you're not hiding from it. You're sharing it. And so I always talk to people about their shape, and that's your spiritual gift, your heart, or your passion your abilities, your personality, and your experiences. Because I think too many times people try to hide their experiences. Now, you don't want to gloat on your, your bad experiences. But if it shows God's grace, then those are important yeah. things to use. And so now you're able to use that to be able to say, this is who I was, and now this is who I am. And on the series, The Chosen, I love watching The Chosen. And Mary says that. I was one way, and now I'm another way. And the only thing that was different is him. Right. <laughs> Jesus changed. And that's what he does in people's lives. He takes us and makes us a new creation. And it's, I always tell people when they talk about spirit dwelling, I said, I can always tell because there's an old nature that I have. And when I don't respond in my old nature... That's evidence of his presence. When I'm not walking with him, I tend to have the danger of responding in that way. And so I love hearing that story and I love how you're using it. And now you've taken that even further yeah. to where you've integrated it into pickleball. Explain that. Uh, uh, let me back up just yeah. before I get to that. As you surround yourself with Christian friends, I'm at, my mouth was not good. And we have uh, some close Christian friends that um, when I use my name to get a laugh, he confronted me and said, mm. that's 
kind of wrong. Yeah. And he was right. I mean, that little thing made a difference. And then I started thinking about somebody else uh, in my Christian family that talked about God being sovereign and, and has a plan for you. And I go back to my early days. My favorite songs were... He's got the whole world mm -hmm. in his hands. Why did I like that song? Right. See, I think God wanted me in, in his fold, but I wasn't aware of it. There was a song by Al Hibbler. Now, this is back in the late 50s. He can turn the tide or calm the end. That's God talking mm. to me. Yeah. But I wasn't listening. Right. When Ernie and John came into my life, I listened. It took a while, but it was worth the wait. So getting back to the uh, pickleball, here I am, 77 years of age, having the time of my life. I think doing what God wants me to do. Mm. Uh, Gary Miller, uh, another one of my uh, Christian friends, said, Dick, you know, you're, you're 75 plus. Why don't you play a tournament? I said, Gary, I'm at peace for the first time in my life. And what I'm doing now with pickleball is better than any of the gold medals I had. And what I'm trying to do is do what God asks us to do if you read the Bible. Go and make disciples mm -hmm. of all nations and all people. Yeah. And I am fortunate that I have a friend by the name of John who goes by John 316. Mm -hmm. And so there's Dick Scott, Gary Miller, and John 316, we run an advanced pickleball strategy class using biblical <laughs> principles. Right. We start out with the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness, but it's also the ten skills that you need right. to yeah. be a good pickleball player. The second thing that Gary taught was uh, the importance of serving. You get it? Yeah. To help other people less fortunate than you. So we're able to bring God's word in a fun, exciting way. Uh, what else did we do? Oh, Ted Meyer. He uh, taught the golden rule. Uh, do unto others right, what you would like right. done unto you. He hits to everybody's backhand. Well, you better hit to his backhand too. <laughs> uh, we had Bill Freeman and Nancy Nowak. Uh, Share the class Stairway to Heaven. Okay. <laughs> they are excellent lobbers. <laughs> and then what John 316 would do, he would recap the class with an email, always using a Bible verse wow. at the end of what the lesson was. Right. I taught, see the light. What's the light, Mr. Scott? Well, it's the opening. Yeah. Is there another light? I said, do you want the most important one? They said, yeah. I said, well, Jesus is the most important one. And I'll never forget that day. There's a girl named Kim that hit a winner right down the middle. I said, Kim, how did you do that? She said, Mr. Scott, I saw the light. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And everybody started doing it. And all the courts, it was so exciting to see the joy. Yeah. yeah. And um, then... Uh, Jana Spano, also, see, a good teacher brings in people better than they are. <laughs> so Jana's one of the top female players. Okay. 
she was going to teach the four jobs of a pickleball player. <laughs> I said, you mean the four jobs? <laughs> so we looked it up. And four Job says, my knees are weak and I'm trembling. I need encouragement. Huh. How wonderful. Wow. And we share that with the people that you need to encourage each yeah. other. And of course, the last class is the Great Commission. Everything that you've learned, share it with other people. We are going to have a guinea pig class coming up in our church to see how it would go by offering it to not only our church, but other churches. Yeah. Uh, we're also talking about writing a curriculum that we could send to Christian schools when they teach pickleball that would bring in the word of God in a wonderful way. So right now then, is that the only avenue for it is through your church that you teach it then? Oh, no. Okay. We teach it on a Friday okay. at, at 10 o'clock. We've been doing it for a year now. Um, it's through the... Uh, rec department, mm -hmm. um, the volunteer group, and we volunteer our time and we, we do it. Uh, but w we want to get into um, the churches right? Uh, yeah. to share. Because one of the things we found out, uh, even though people go to church, doesn't mean they read the Bible. Even people go to church, even people that read the Bible, they don't pray every day. Right. So what I want to be able to do with the church is say, okay, here's our prayer. And uh, I remember learning this prayer a long time ago. Uh, it's one thing that my mom did do. Uh, it's, Dear God, make me big and strong. Make me happy all day long. Bless your mommy, daddy, too. Dear God, make me good like you. But in our class, we're going to teach, dear God, make me quick and strong. Make me happy all day long. Bless the students. Teacher too, dear God, make us good like you. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the importance of reading the Bible. And when we talk about see the light, they're going to have to do some homework. Yeah. Where is light mentioned yeah. in the Bible? So we're, we're, we're getting more ideas from everybody. But it's so nice because one of the things our church talks about, if you're not dead, you're not done. Right. If you would have thought at 77... I'd be witnessing to other people about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I would have never have dreamed it. And it's so nice to be able to do that. Um, so we pray hard, we play hard, but we're finishing well. Yeah. And that's what God wants for us. Yeah, that's so cool. And so with uh, Time to Man Up, something that I've been doing, uh, Robert Lewis uh, gives the definition of authentic manhood, and I love it because it talks about rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously. And then as you were talking, um, his last one is invest eternally. And that's really what's cool about what you're doing, Dick, is if you teach somebody how to play pickleball, it's temporary. It's of this world. But if you can give spiritual lessons that God can use to change somebody's life, now he's taken it from just being a earthly investment in a pickleball game to now an eternal investment in a person's life. And I always kind of run through that definition of authentic manhood and say, where do these things fit in my life? And so investing eternally, I think, is partly why I'm doing what I'm doing now to leave a full-time job that I was 
fine at. And then to step into something like this, where I'm trying to figure out what in the world is happening. When you see God using, whether it's pickleball or a podcast or whatever, it's amazing to say none of this would have happened without God orchestrating it, directing it, whether it be at Dayton, Ohio, Baldwin Wallace, Bay, wherever it was, God is orchestrating this. And, I, and I'm sure you found this, that there are things that happen in our life, experiences, that we don't understand a purpose. And I always relate it to Joseph when he got thrown in prison, all the junk that he went through. And then he gets to that moment where his brothers show up to get food and he recognizes what the purpose was. All that crap, all that junk that went in, into his life, he's like, now I get it. Now I get it. And I think there's those moments where what you're doing now, where you just say, I get your plan now, God. I see what you're doing. It's not that we get everything about it, but you begin to see why am I in the villages? Why am I where I am with the people that I am? God orchestrated that because he said, I'm not done with you. You still have an eternal investment that you can make. And I just think that's so awesome to hear that and how God continues to use that. Now, is that you were just recently out in California to teach a class? Is that the class you taught or was that just a different? That was a different um, avenue. But I, I did take a, a sheet out when I met with some people, uh, not during the clinic, but we also met with the members. I would use some of those concepts when I taught the Ten Commandments and kind of give them a quiz. You know, uh, we're going to talk about the light. Do you know what the light is? Well, is it the sun? I said no. And so I still use that as a form of teaching wherever I go. Yeah, I'm sure it's like me with man up. Yeah. Wherever you go, you take it with you. Yes. And it is, I'll do a wedding and I'll, and I'll put man up into it because I want the man to know these are things you need to do. And it's just like God makes that part of who we are. And so anywhere you go, anywhere thing you do with pickleball and even outside of pickleball is going to have that in it. Well, I, I mean, when my dad told me your story, I'm like, this is a guy that I want to have on the podcast. And, uh, I'm so glad that you were able to, to be part of this and our first edition of table talk. And so we are grateful for Dick Scott being with us today and uh, we just look forward to more opportunities with Table Talk to share uh, people's experiences uh, so that, I mean, one of the things I'm excited about, Dick, is we're losing generations of veterans. And there'll come a time where their story can't be told. And we want to hear those stories. And, and uh, I just, the opportunity to be able to talk with people is, is amazing to be able to do that. So... Keep looking for further uh, episodes of Table Talk as we'll be rolling those out. And also, uh, we're going to be doing some things called the two-minute drill. You're going to want to pay attention to that. It's just kind of a fun, light thing that we've done in trying to just, uh, I don't know, bring some happiness to people's days. Sometimes, you need, you know, down in Florida, I think we get a little spoiled, Dick, because even on bad days, you walk out and there's sun. Yeah. And it just makes the day. I mean, you're an Ohio guy. Man, it just feels like gray yeah. so long and it's discouraging. 
Whereas this is our first winter down here. And I'm like, to get up and walk outside and be like, it's a good day. Because <laughs> I've getting uh, getting uh, pictures from Ohio right now, and it doesn't look very yeah. nice there. So, well, Dick, thank you for being with us. I appreciate you giving up of your time uh, to be part of this. And I look forward to seeing what God will continue to do. Well, thank you for inviting me, and it's God's time and as that, well. That, so that, thank you, Sean, for inviting me so I can share his word, which is so important. Wasn't that an amazing testimony? To hear what God has done in Dick's life is amazing. And I think for men, we have that battle where we have anger issues that can get in the way, can hinder our testimony with other people. And so we can learn so much from Dick's experiences. I am so grateful that you are here with us today. If you have found this helpful, make sure to like or subscribe or to share Continue to get the word out, men, as we share what God is doing at the Time to Man Up podcast. And make sure to check us out at www.time2, the number two, time2manup.com. We are so excited about how God is using uh, this new ministry as we reach out to men and we try to hit them right where they're living their lives. Hopefully we can give them some life-changing lessons as we share with them what God can do in their lives. Guys, have a great day. And again, be with us for next episode.